Welcome to the Casual Author Podcast. I'm Dan, sci-fi and fantasy author, father of six, full-time worker, homesteader, as well as a man of many other responsibilities. I'm here to bring you inspiration and positivity around having a busy life and wanting to chase that author career, even if you have to take a casual approach. For more information about me, my books, and the podcast, head to dankenner.com slash podcast. And here's the show. Hey, it's Dan Kenner with another episode of The Casual Author. Today is Monday, October 30th, 2023, as I record this. And today we're talking to Neil Romrell about how Dungeons & Dragons has bolstered his creativity in writing. We talk about how long he's been playing, the things he's learned from playing D&D, and how that has transitioned into becoming an author. We talk a lot about creativity and spurring that imagination. Um, We talk a little bit about planning his books and how he wrote them and actually got them out and published. So it was a really interesting conversation. I don't have a lot of experience with Dungeons and Dragons, but I 100% have had the thought to play it um, when I was younger. It was something I was always interested in. didn't have a group of friends to play with. So I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. You want to stick around for that. But before we dive into that, uh, I want to take a step back and recognize something that has been missing in my podcast that I was thinking about the other day. You know, I talk a bit about being a busy person. I'm very busy. I've got a lot of things going on and I give a lot of updates on the homestead. But frankly, there's a big, really big piece of my life that I don't talk about that often, which is a little bit of a disservice to you and a disservice to myself. And that is my children. Now, I, I believe in privacy. I, it's, I don't want to uh, disclose a lot of information about them, names and whatnot. However, it is, it's a huge part of my life and I don't ever talk about it. So that's something I want to dive into a little bit um, each week because there are constant changes and updates with my kids. They're doing amazing things and I don't really talk about it. So I figured, hey, we need to drop some things in here so you recognize that it is a big part of my life and there's a lot going on there. So that being said, we might as well start on that front. I'm happy to say that this last week, I began the the final two weeks of my paternity leave. So fortunately, the job that I do work for, it has a really generous paternity leave policy, and I was able to break it up throughout the year. So even though our daughter was born in December of last year, I have a year to use it. I saved two weeks specifically for the end of October for two reasons, because that is when two of my children have birthdays. I like to take their birthdays off so we can go do something fun but it's also fall cleanup time so i've talked a little bit about preparing the homestead for winter there's a lot that goes into it we'll dive into that in just a minute but as i mentioned this last week we've had two birthdays um my son my second son turned eight and my uh let's see my fourth is a daughter she just turned five so it was a blast i love this week because there's so much fun we get to go do activities for their birthdays we get to have cake and uh, cake is my favorite i absolutely love cake it's really dangerous <laughs> for me because i have very little self-control when it comes to birthday cake uh my wife is the opposite she's like i don't really love birthday cake but um it's been it's been so much fun it's fun to see them grow up they're learning a lot um the my first two sons started piano lessons well one the oldest has been doing it for a year the second one who just turned eight started piano lessons and it's a little crazy chaotic to have all the extra creative activities but we're having a lot of fun they're doing great with piano and archery is starting next week so uh, my two oldest sons will be doing archery and it's just a really fun sport and very practical now i don't do a lot of hunting I've never really done that, but 
it's nice. It's a nice skill to have. Plus they have a lot of fun and I get to meet a lot of other homeschooled kids, which is important to us. Um, so yeah, that's in terms of updates for the children's side of things. It's been a busy week, but because I don't have work for the next couple of weeks is a blessing. I've been able to spend a lot of time with them and focus on that time. And I'm very happy about it. It's giving me a little bit of a taste of what it might be like if I was a full-time author, because um, what we've done is we've broken up our days so that I still treat my days as work. But instead of actually doing work, I come to my office and I do author things. So it's been great. I'm diving into ads. I'm trying to, you know, I'm writing every day. I'm figuring out how to get my books out there, market those books, and taking a lot of courses to learn more about that, putting more into the business. So that taste is amazing. <laughs> and, it, you know, I think it's going to help me feel more motivated to reach that at some point. Now, I'm in no hurry. Someday, you know, may take five, 10 years, and that's fine. But this is a taste of it because I do author work in the morning and then afternoon I'm out in the homestead doing, you know, a lot of things for three to four hours in the afternoon. I It would be nice to say that I could do author things all day. <laughs> the homestead is wildly busy. So um, updates wise in the homestead, we had to, it wasn't a panic move, but we had to move the chickens to their permanent coop a little bit on a whim because the temperature dropped drastically. And they were protected in their other coops. They're just not as, it's not as big of an area. So the cold can get to them. So I had to spend, you know, a couple hours in the almost dark. Fortunately, there was a full moon, but I had to go get the chickens. So the thing about chickens is catching them is a pain in the butt because they will run. Um, even if they're, well, I mean, yeah, the friendly ones still run, or even if there's just one non-friendly one kind of trains the others to run from you. Not a huge deal. You just get them when they're roosting. So every night they perch themselves up on high parts of the, the coop and they pretty much go to sleep. And so that's why I have to wait until it's almost dark. I was able to get them over, had to make a few trips. I think I had to do three different batches. They hated it. They were terrified. I tried to be calm and, and you know, I wasn't angry or hard on them or anything, but it was dark and they were a little bit freaked out <laughs> they were being moved. Regardless, we moved them and they love their new coop and their new run. I sent pictures in my um, my email update a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, now they're happy and thriving. And so now what we have to figure out is how to deal with the frozen waterers because the temperatures dip now into the teens. Um, sometimes single digits. I think we're, we're seeing a couple days like that in the next week. I need to figure out the water situation. Currently, I'm just bringing hot water from inside our house out. That's what I did the last couple of years. It takes a while, right? And it's a little bit tricky when outside becomes this complete ice field, carrying full buckets of water when the ground is ice is not great. Now, admittedly, I haven't slipped and spilled it I don't think ever, maybe I shouldn't jinx myself on that one, but uh, yeah, it's just not sustainable to carry these big old buckets of hot water multiple times. Uh, the chickens aren't that close to our house, so I have to do a little bit of trekking. So we're trying to figure something out. I think this year we're going to be investing in um, heated waters so you can plug them in and they, the buckets are warm and or the chicken water is warm, so it will not freeze. I think that's going to save us a lot of time. We haven't historically invested in them because of financial reasons, but this year it seems about time to invest in them, trying to simplify our lives. Other than that, it's mostly just cleaning up hoses, spraying, you know, we had to winterize the sprinkler system, all the fun outside stuff before it gets cold. We do have another butchering date ahead of us, which is not going to be great in the cold, 
but we've got some roosters that we just don't need. So we'll be butchering them and they will be turning into chicken sausage. That's a new endeavor that we've never tried before. When we actually get to that period, I'll have to tell you how that goes. But yeah, that's the plan currently uh, because generally roosters, particularly of this breed, have kind of tougher meat because they're older. The older chickens get, the tougher their meat gets. It's just the reality. So they're going to be sausage. That's going to be great. We'll see how that goes. But other than that, yeah, just there's going to be a lot over the next two weeks. I have a lot to do before my paternity leave ends. Crossing my fingers that I can get to all of it. If not, that's what Saturdays are for. I, we don't love to go out in the evenings, but you do what you got to do. It's got to all get done. So in terms of author updates, so um, Demon Blooded is still moving along at a pretty healthy clip. I write about 2,000 words a day-ish, not on weekends, on weekdays, coincidentally, because... Um, it's easier to fit that in. Saturday schedules are just wild. But we're looking at about 32,000 words on that manuscript. Uh, I've been pondering and thinking about how I want to move forward with this series. And I'm wondering if it makes sense to write all six books first before I publish the first one. Still noodling that one over, trying to decide how I want to handle that. But currently, I'm just writing and really enjoying that process. So uh, other than that, yeah, like I said, I'm diving into ads. I don't have I don't have troubles getting my covers to um, attract people. They're clicking. What I need to figure out is why they're not purchasing. So that's the fun thing that I'm figuring out. I'm looking at my ads, my copy or my uh, sales page and figuring out what I need to tweak to make it work. So that's been a lot of investigative time put into that. And I'm ramping up my YouTube channel. So those of you that are here watching on YouTube, hello, good to see you. Those of you who are not, not a problem. You will see other videos. And uh, the current schedule for publishing on YouTube is two videos a week. I've got my home, my homestead, homestead. The um, podcast video will, goes up on Wednesday. And then I have another author related video, either help or story or reviews or whatnot on Friday. So that's the current plan. We're moving forward with that. And I'm honestly having a blast um, I have to say, ever since I haven't been on TikTok, my life has simplified quite a bit. Not a knock on TikTok. All those people that are being successful on it, awesome. Very happy for them. I just recognize that my life wasn't fitting. It didn't fit with the lifestyle. It didn't fit with my preferences. And while some people may look at it and say, you were doing great, that may or may not be true, but I was not doing great mentally. So much better to not be on TikTok for me. I'm going to continue leaning into YouTube and leveraging other ads just to see what we can do over the next six months. So yeah, that's uh, making plans and thinking forward to the future. That's what I've been spending a lot of time doing these last couple of weeks. Uh, I believe that's everything in terms of updates. So we can go ahead and shift over to the interview portion of the podcast. Hey, Neil, how are you doing today? Doing well, Dan. How about yourself? <laughs> doing very well. Looking forward to chatting with you about, coincidentally, something that I'm not very familiar with. Okay. But I'm somewhat interested in, right? You are a a D&D player, is that correct? That is correct. Yes, I have been playing. I am, well, I'm a, I just turned literally a couple days ago, uh, 47. And I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was about 12 years old. So oh, it's, cool. it's been a while. <laughs> Happy birthday, first of all. Thanks. But we'll dive into the D&D thing because I'm absolutely fascinated by it. It's one of those things that I've never really done in my life. But before we get into all that fun stuff, how long have you been writing and publishing books? So writing proper, um, I I started uh, my the novel that I eventually published as my debut novel. I started writing it in 2020, right as COVID hit. So it was kind of my COVID thing. Um 
I uh, I have, if, if you count trying to write books, I started, the very first time I tried to write a book was my sophomore year of high school. I had mm-hmm. a teacher who we had to turn in a writing assignment every, I think it was every Friday or maybe every other Friday. And it had to be like two or three paragraphs. It was not very many words, but I had the brilliant idea at the time that I was going to essentially write a book using this year of school because, you know, at that age, a year of school is like 500 years, right? So mm-hmm. I was going to write this whole book. <laughs> I was going to write this entire book, um, just turning in these assignments. And uh, of I, I got a lot of it. I mean, I got a lot of pieces and parts, but it was very disjointed. And, and I was obviously probably not anywhere near a good enough writer to be trying that. But I did make the attempt. Um it is lost to the annals of time now. I don't know. I mean, I know the story. I remember that much of it, but I don't know if I can even find any of the original pages I wrote or typed or anything, but that was my first attempt. And uh, I kind of tried over the years and it just never stuck. And finally COVID kind of gave me that excuse that I had to be home for a while. And uh, I was able to to write my debut novel. And uh, originally it was picked up from a pub with a publisher, uh, a indie press out of Ohio. And uh that was going to be the plan was to be re- to release it through them. And then unfortunately, about three months before they were supposed to kind of finalize everything with my book, uh, they had some internal struggles and ended up uh, having to declare bankruptcy. And so I got my rights back, which was nice. But uh, rather than go through the publishing process again, I went ahead and self-published. So I've, I've been a self-published author now since uh, last year. And uh, I've since then uh, published a short story and I've got another short story that has just been picked up for a, an anthology next year. And Thanks. I very recently finished my very first uh, 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 fantasy book. My first my first novel was an ur- kind of an urban fantasy. It's more of a modern setting. Uh, but this next one is actually based on one of my D&D campaigns. And so I just literally uh, finished, quote unquote, writing the first draft about three weeks ago. So <laughs> it's still got a long ways to go, but it's it's there now. So, so it's fresh. Yes. <laughs> nice and raw and fresh. Oh, that fun part. I remember, you know, it's nice to write the end, but then it's like, okay, I'm going to just have to set this aside and forget about it. So I don't go crazy knowing what I have to do with this manuscript. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk about this D&D thing. You've been playing D&D for a very long time, which is amazing, which means you're probably <laughs> very good at it. Um, I would hope. <laughs> I would think <laughs> that might be subjective, but yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fair enough. So, do you generally DM it or Dungeon Master? That's what that stands for, correct? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, Dungeon Master. So, um, my the original game that I played was actually at a, a birthday party of a friend, and um, he he just had like he didn't even have like the the real books. It was just like he had like a couple of basically like adventures is what they were. They they didn't win or even like the rule books com- completely. But we played that and uh, I immediately was hooked. I liked the idea of being able to play, you know, create this character from scratch. You could base it on whatever you wanted, you know, how they could, how they looked, how they acted, what they did. Um, and you were in control. And, and the only thing between you and success was the roll of the dice. Right. And uh, so I, I played for a, a few years and then I wanted to play with my friends, but, but some of them, or some, some some of my new friends. It's one of those things where you get to high school and magically you suddenly have different friends than you had when you were younger. And uh, so some of my new friends wanted to play, except that none of us at that time were dungeon masters. We we were all just theoretically kind of players. And uh, I said, well, all you know, I've been playing the longest. I'll be the one that starts as the dungeon master. And that was 
pretty much from the time I was in about my, you know, senior year of high school or so until a few years ago, actually, I was pretty much solidly just a dungeon master. I almost never was just a player. Um, and, and luckily I've been in my current uh, location for long enough that I, I met enough people that I was able to actually go back in and actually just be a player <laughs> about three years ago. I got to the, the chance to do that again, but that was basically the first time I really had gotten to be a player in a campaign in almost, I guess at that point it was almost 30 years. So it was... That is wild. Okay. So <laughs> because of, of my ignorance on this whole thing I'm, I'm familiar with the fact that dms generally craft this they it can be a complex world there's books that can assist you but you don't have to follow them correct i have a brother-in-law who also dms things or at least he was planning on it he's he's been playing DD for probably five years now um and i remember having a conversation with him and he was asking me like hey does this sound good does this sound good and i was like this is kind of strange like sh- i mean it's really <laughs> up to you I, I mean are you writing a book i remember asking he was just like oh no i'm I'm building this D&D campaign. I was like, that is strikingly similar to writing a book. You know, it's wild. You're pretty much writing a story that's verbal only, right? I mean, you're not, you're yep. writing some notes down. I mean, some people draw maps, some people get really into it. But so how strongly did your D&D prowess influence your writing? Well, number one, I am very much a pantser. If if you if you're not a writer or an author, you might not. Know. I didn't know what it was until I joined some some TikTok and Twitter communities and stuff. But a, a pantser essentially writes from the seat of your pants, right? You basically sit down and maybe you've got kind of an idea of what you want, but you just kind of let the the story happen as you're writing it, and mm-hmm. that's literally what a DM does. You know, it's it's and. And when I was first, this this is something you'll find a lot of new DMs do. So when you're a new DM, you want to create everything, right? You want to have every detail. You want to have started from the top of the atmosphere all the way down to the grains of sand on the beach, right? And you quickly realize that that's a foolish proposition. <laughs> that's way too much work for something that's probably 99.9% of it's never going to be witnessed by any player of any of your campaigns ever. And, um, you know, and, and so for years, I was exactly what you're talking about. I had these, you know, crazy detailed maps of, you know, the cities and what was in each of them and this and that. And slowly over the years, I realized, okay, I'm doing a lot of crazy work that really isn't benefiting my story. It's just making me feel better about the world that, that these characters are in. When I should have really just been focusing on the stories of what they're going to do and kind of let the players help guide me in that, right? Like, what choices they make can kind of influence the way that my story progresses. And so it makes you think on your feet and it makes you, again, kind of act like a pantser, right? You know, something comes up. It's just like when you're in the zone typing and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, I just had this brilliant idea, you know, quote unquote. Um, your players will do stuff and you'll go, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. And yet here this person has has challenged me now with this idea and it's like, okay, let's let's take the story in this direction now you know um and so it makes you think in your feet and it did when I was writing that was one of the biggest like advantages I felt like I had once I actually was able to like sit down and seriously try to write was that if if something new popped into my head or if some kind of new situation arose as I was writing it didn't like throw me off right it didn't make me have to like stop and pause and you know, reset, I could just go, okay, this is just like if somebody made a decision in one of my games, the dice rolls as they may, and I'm just going to go with it kind of thing. So. 
okay this is not where i expected to hear how this influence this is amazing no i'm loving this i'm eating this up because i am also a pantser or there are some writers who don't like to say the word pantsy particularly people in britain because coincidentally pants means underwear so discovery writing we're going to use the fancy term here okay so discovery writing or discovery dnd i didn't expect that you know for some reason i was just under the impression that dnd or dm masters are as redundant dms (laughs) um plan everything out specifically but it makes sense like you said you've got players that are going to make decisions that you haven't accounted for because they're a bunch of different personalities they're different you know you don't you hardly know them until they get into the game and so you kind of have to you know fly by the seat of your pants so to speak the the best one of the bit my one of my favorite stories about being a dm and one and this was this was i mean i'd been dming for quite a while at this point i had this game that was i think it was only three players so it was just me and three other people and they had at, during the course of the adventure, they were supposed to go to this village and essentially like help these people that were under siege by, you know, some undead or something, you know, and, and so they go there and they titanically screw this whole thing up. Like they burn down half the village. They just, you know, I mean, nothing that they do really goes the way that they wanted it to go. And it causes, of course, the many of the villagers to be mad at them and, and this and that. And so, um, so the, 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 the particular people that were like the kind of the soul, like the people that were they are supposed to be interacting with the NPCs that were the non-player characters, I should say, that were the specific to this village in particular, they ended up having a very bad taste in their mouth when, when the, the players finally left the village, right? They did not like these guys. And um, so fast forward many, many, many play sessions later, and the the characters hear about this tournament where if you go and fight, you can win this magic sword. And and they really wanted this magic sword. And so they go there. And one of the characters who's actually one of the weaker characters as far as combat wise, because he was a, a, a druid, I think, and he didn't wear much armor. And his, his kind of specialties was like he could wild shape, but he hadn't even really specialized in that. He was more kind of a spellcaster than anything. He gets into the to the fighting ring and this this guy from this village from set eons ago at this point steps in this 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 raging you know angry barbarian guy and uh they have to fight and i'm just thinking i like though everybody there's just thinking oh he's about to get you know his his hind end kicked very badly in this fight and of course as the dm i'm thinking the same thing i'm just like you know there's really no chance this guy can beat you know this guy's you know this this guy's massive and he's got huge strength and all this this stuff working against what the, the the druid cannot match that same skill except when the fight starts they, they have this thing in dnd called initiative so you roll to see who goes first essentially right in a, in, a, in a combat situation and the druid won the initiative and what does he do he casts this spell called uh i think it was called meld the stone and it means that he can technically absorb himself like into stone and kind of be just like part of a wall temporarily and these these fights were taking place on these big blocks of stone and so Technically, the, the the actual spell, like the way they're read, it's, so it's supposed to take like a, a period of time for him to actually meld into the stone. But because he shocked me with that move, and it was so genius, I just let it happen. Like I just said, "Hey, instantaneously, you you start the combat. The the barbarian guy's in a rage; he's ready to fight, and you just basically turn into like you just disappear essentially in his eyes because you just meld into the stone." But the Barbarian, one of the features about their class at that time was that once they were, like, enraged, they had to fight no matter what. Like, they had to basically take out any opponent that they thought to be a threat in their immediate area. So they started going off and fighting other fighters, this this Barbarian did, while the Druids just sitting there 
totally out of the combat. Like he is not, he cannot be affected. He is just a lump of stone at this point until the barbarian completely like, you know, uses up all of his skills, all of his powers. Other people are fighting him. He's just completely beaten down. And the druid comes back up out of the stone and just walks up and hits him with a stick and wins the fight. (laughs) And it was, I was like, that's like, I had planned this whole thing out. And, and in the end, the character had just a better plan than I did. And that's really what it was. You know, it was just, he just had a better, he had a better imagination than I had because I would not have expected that to be one of the things he would have done. And so that taught me, it was like, that was kind of like the, the, I had lots of others, but that was kind of one of the ones that I can look back at and say, that was a moment where I realized I don't need to try to have every last stone figured out. You know, I just need to have the baselines. I just need to know, what's going to happen in theory. Like if they're going to face some goblins, I need to know kind of what those goblins look like and what their motivations are, but where it happens, who knows if the characters go one direction, that's fine. I can change the story completely in that moment, but at least I've got the the bones there. And that's kind of how I write. You know, when I, when I did this fantasy novel, I, I knew some set pieces. I knew some places that I wanted things to happen. I knew some moments that I wanted to occur but I didn't know how we were going to get there. I just had to kind of write until a moment arose that was like, oh, this makes sense for this to happen now. And there it is. So. <laughs> but for me, that's the fun part of writing. And that's, you know, it sounds very similar to uh, being a DM or, you know, playing a game even as a player is that you you think you have an idea of, you know, what you want, but then the characters make different decisions. It's just like, okay. Well, I like that way better. I've learned so much just to kind of let things happen. And, you know, I'm always way more satisfied with the story. I have an interesting kind of relatable story. Um, when I was writing the third book, first off, when I was writing my trilogy, you can see the first two books back there. I had I didn't plan any of it. I was, you know, discovery writing the whole thing. Um, and I actually lost around 35,000 words of the third novel due to system oh. error. It wasn't, I was saving my work. Um, it, I was using a cloud-based system and I was saying it was saved. I was manually saving it, but there was a problem with the browser. It had caused like a, a disjointed cookie, if you know anything about browsers. Oh, and so no. even though I was saving it, it wasn't actually saving it. It just made it look like it was. Anyway, the funny thing is when I rewrote that 35,000 words without any notes, it was completely different, like completely different. And I loved it. I was like, oh, this is way better. Like I don't even remember what happened in the, the 35,000 I lost. But it's just funny how that happens. It's just like, you know, I, I was stressful and bothersome, but, you know, you just kind of let it happen. But it's great that, you you know, you've had these skills that you've developed for so many years. And so when you actually got down to the writing, it probably just felt so natural just to be like, yeah, I'm just for me, I'm just essentially playing a D&D game with NPCs, kind of, yeah. you know, the characters yeah. in your book are NPCs. Yeah. for all intents and purposes so but the content is quite different because D is generally fantasy pretty heavily fantasy based right yeah generally speaking now i had the luxury um you know i was in D long before D was popular right mm-hmm. you know like at the time that i was playing it there wasn't a ton of people playing it um comparative to like modern uh, nowadays i guess i should say but <laughs> i also had some very astute uh, people that were very familiar with just, you know, TTRPGs in general at the time. Mm. The, the, the guy that got me into like the, the, the youth, I mean, at the time we were kids, but he 
um, I don't know if his dad was into it or what the deal was. He would get these books, like he would get these other systems. It wasn't just D and D. So hmm. there was GURPS. There was this thing called he- uh, Heroes Unlimited. Heroes Unlimited is maybe my favorite game that is D and D centric, but not D and D that I've ever played. It's literally just like superheroes D and D is is all it is. Um, and then there's there's these other ones, the werewolf system and stuff like that. There were all these other games. And so I got to actually have this flavor. And and I, when I said that I was that I was exclusively a DM, that was for D&D, but I did I did get to do some player games in my very early 20s that were totally outside of Dungeons and Dragons. So I did get to do some playing as a player in some other systems, I guess I should have mentioned. But um, but yeah, so there are nowadays it's just crazy. Like it's just the wild, wild west out there, right? Like people are just making systems for everything there's uh there's you know old victorian styles that are that are technically again they're just kind of based on the DD rules but it's it's you know uh the house on haunted hill is is an example of one that they had a board game now they've got a, a DD or like a, a, game a is CTRPD fun. system yeah um super fun you know and uh and gerbs back in the day i thought gerbs basically stands for generic role-playing game i don't remember exactly that's not exactly what it stands for but it's basically that generic role-playing game it was literally a system that was intended to just be anything if you wanted it to be in space in the future, it was space in the future. If you wanted it to be modern right now, street level cops and robbers, it was that. It was fantasy. It was anything you wanted it to be. It was just basically a system of, of dice and rolls. It would say weapon A does this much damage under these circumstances. It doesn't hmm. matter what you call that weapon. It's just that's the weapon, right? Um, and so it was modern. Modern Dungeons and Dragons kind of has adopted the same kind of system. Nowadays, Modern Dungeons and Dragons, they'll tell you, hey, look, just because we give you these these classifications of weapons and armor and this and that, if you want to change it, go ahead. You know, just these are the numbers that you need. We've given you the numbers. Feel free to do with it what you will. You know, so so that's that it is. It's very much it's normally it's very much fantasy, but it has gotten to be such a global thing now that people are using it for all kinds of different you know, settings and systems. And it's really fascinating to see some of the the ways that people have, have taken this, this kind of base game and turned it into something really, really distant from what the original was and yet still so grounded in what the original was. So. Fascinating. I did not know that that was the thing. I mean, it makes sense logically. I think, you know, intuitively I would have known that D and D wasn't the only game out there. In fact, I'm pretty sure I knew that I'd seen some other books out there, but um it's it's interesting, you know. I didn't realize there was a superheroes version, and so I mean, let's talk a little bit about your book, right? I've read the description <laughs> of your book. It's uh, for just as a basis to explain a little bit around what the book is about. Do you want to explain what cryptids are? Absolutely, absolutely. So, people who haven't heard that, what is that? How does yeah. it relate to your books? So a uh, a cryptid is typically something that is classified through what they call cryptozoology. So uh, it is a creature that we suspect could exist, but we don't have any hard evidence of it actually existing, if that makes sense. Um, the, the best example of what a real world cryptid is, is the platypus. There was a time when people had seen a platypus and had returned to some, you know, scientist or biologist or whatever and said, hey, we saw this thing that, you know, has a duck bill and it also has flippers, but it's also warm blooded. And and people were like, you're not, you're just, you you were probably drunk or you saw something, you know, you (laughs) saw something else and you clearly don't know what you're talking about. And fast forward years and suddenly people realize, no, that's actually a real live actual animal. Um, So Bigfoot. And the Loch Ness Monster are probably some of the most, most well-known and classical cryptids. Um, 
I wrote a book that involves why essentially the reason that we don't know or that we don't have good evidence of cryptids is because there's people out there that are essentially kind of brushing the evidence under the rug, as it were. Um, and there's a there's a society that is also just constantly working to kind of keep there's almost like game wardens, but for cryptid kind, you know, they're trying to keep them safe from us crazy humans that might uh, somehow encroach or, or or do harm to them, uh, which is why they've stayed hidden all this time. So. <laughs> so where did you get the idea for this book? Was it related <laughs> to any game you were playing or is it just kind of off base, no, out of the blue idea? So, so I mentioned that COVID, this was a COVID thing. Um, my daughters who have since... I've got three girls. And so at some point they knew that I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. They had become aware enough of it that I was playing Dungeons and Dragons and they wanted me to, to help to teach them Dungeons and Dragons essentially. And so I had very much not tried to push Like I didn't want to like make this a thing like, Oh, well dad is telling you, you got to do Dungeons and Dragons, you know, but they got to the point where they were old enough and they said, Hey, we would like to, we'd be interested in seeing this. And one of the things that my my middleest daughter mentioned almost immediately was she said, you know, you've got like a storyteller voice, right? Like you've got this other voice that you do when you become the DM. And a lot of DMs will tell you they do. They have like this other, like they go into this other, I don't know what you would, they, they do this other your audiobook voice. Yeah, it is. It is. It's seriously. It's like your audiobook voice. And uh, and so they would kind of, they would kind of joke about that. And um, and so as COVID starts to shut things down, I've got a daughter in college. I've got a daughter who's married. I've got another daughter who's still in high school. Everybody basically comes home, at least temporarily at the, you know, at the very start, we're not sure what's going on. And so we just, you know, we kind of gathered everybody at the house, right. To, to kind of wait out at the time what we weren't sure if it was going to be a couple of weeks or, you know, who knew. And of course we didn't know it was going to turn into as long as it did, but, um, and one night we were just kind of all up and we were joking about because my one daughter would, was taking like a English, I don't know, 201 or something kind of thing. And she was talking about some some people in that class that were that were joking about like badly written books, essentially, like fan fiction and stuff like that. And and they were we were just kind of talking about storytelling and what it took to tell a story versus just, you know, putting a story down on paper. And when, you know, you're you're a DM, this and that and and my middle's daughter again said, well, you, you know, you've got that storyteller voice that you, you know, when you tell a story and, and she's like, you're kind of getting into that now. Like, cause we were kind of coming up with like ideas of stuff and just kind of telling stories as it were. And, uh, and I said, well, yeah. And she said, you know, you ought to, you ought to put one of those down finally. Cause they knew that I'd tried to write books in the past, but I'd never gotten more than a few chapters in. And she said, maybe, maybe this is the time. Maybe you need to actually like tell this story finally. Or tell a story finally. And so originally it had, it wasn't cryptids. It was going to be something a little bit different. And that night I just kind of slept on it. And when I woke up the next morning, this whole different idea, like this whole thing had popped into my head and it involved cryptids because growing up, I grew up in Idaho and uh, out there, there's a lot of stories about, you know, creatures up in the mountains and things like that. And I had this whole thought about, you know, cause I've seen some weird stuff. I've never now granted, I've never seen a cryptid, but I've seen some weird stuff in my life. And, uh, and I was like, what if, what if the reason we're just not finding the cryptids is because there's somebody that's, that's covering them up essentially. And from that came a whole story about an individual named Charlotte who joined this organization fresh out of high school. And now she's been in there for a while and she's become kind of a, an agent who's supposed to be teaching other agents. And, um, you know, this was it's it was very indicative. I wanted it to be kind of an homage for my girls because they were the ones that had kind of encouraged me. And 
a lot of my storytelling goes back to them. And I, I really wanted to have something that when my grandfather passed away, he had been a storyteller for years and years and years. And he had a couple of different collections of stories that he had, you know, told and, and cowboy poetry festivals and different things, but he had also written them down. And so all of us grandkids had a copy of his book. And I was like, I want my girls to be able to have this, you know, at least this book. Um, and so I kind of loosely based characters in the original draft on my daughters. Uh, unfortunately, that kind of got skewed a little bit over, over time. And now they're more amalgamations than they are really just based on anybody anymore. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the thing that kind of got me to it is that I wanted to kind of present this thing for my my girls. And uh, and like I said, I just love the idea of cryptids. I'd never seen one, but I love the idea of them. I, I've heard stories about Bigfoot, you know, being up in the mountains. I've heard stories about the Loch Ness Monster. I've been to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where the Mothman uh, uh, legend was essentially born. And, um, you know, so <laughs> I thought it was something cool. And it just kind of happened that it did become the, the, the book that it did. So. I think it's amazing that, you know, the the great thing about being an author, particularly an independently published author, is you can kind of do whatever. I know this isn't a knock on traditional publishing because, you know, it's great. A lot of people really do very successfully in traditionally publishing. I do know that there's very specific types of books that they often look for, agents and traditional publishers. And, you know, I, one of the reasons I just decided to go Indies because I didn't want to be put in a box. I didn't want to be told, hey, you need to write these tropes. You need to write books like X. I was like, I don't want to do that. Right. I want to write what I want to write <laughs> and still entertain and still delight people. And I'm finding that people still love the books. But, you know, like you said, you didn't know that it was going to be cryptids. But the fact that it is is excellent and people love it. And your book has great reviews on it. Um, and it's fun. It's, it's really fun to be able to take that and just be like, all right, let's see where this goes. And that's what happens. So this is intended to be a series. It looks like, cause I see book one. Yes. Yes. After this one. <laughs> so it's always fun writing series as a discovery writer. Cause it's just like, do you have a sense for how many books it's going to be? So going back to my original idea, it was, so, so this is a little bit of the, the inside baseball or whatever, if you want to call it, uh, I originally was going to have three books that kind of not had three separate protagonists, but they kind of focused on different aspects of this, this group, this, this society that keeps these cryptids protected essentially. And each of these societies was going to have a focus character that kind of was based on, again, one of my daughters was the original, like high-minded idea. Um, number one, I discovered that when you're writing a series, people have very strong feelings when it comes to like how you do cliffhangers or things like that. Um, and they will make sure and share that with you when they do beta reads for you. So <laughs> I discovered that maybe my original ending and some of my other things might not work as well <laughs> as mm -hmm. I thought just, you know, before I was going to actually publish this and just make it something for myself. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I do think it's, I, I, I don't, I don't say I do. I know it's going to be three books because I've basically outlined the other two books. In fact, I've written, I'm 25,000 or so words into the second book. Um, okay. At this point. Um, I actually had to rewrite it. That was that was one of the things. I, I, I your story about losing thirty five thousand words. It, it it I that that resonates very well with me. I had written about thirty thousand words of my second book, and upon publishing the first book, like legitimately getting it into hands of people and getting you know seeing how what they thought about it and seeing you know the way that people like my my uh, arc readers and things like that responded. I quickly realized that the second book that I had at that time been writing was not the right book to write. So that was not mm. the story for the second book. 
And so I've still got those 30,000 words kind of sitting there. I might someday make them like a Kindle Villa or something cool. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what to do with that story just yet. It's a story that I like. I just, it's not the story that's supposed to be the second book. And so I had to start over from scratch. Essentially, and now I'm writing the second book again and it's, it's getting there. It's uh, it was a little bit of a slow process. Um, like I said, the, the fantasy book kind of consumed me. It, you know, I kind of got on a hot streak with it and I, I, I probably have some kind of hyperfixation or something that is undiagnosed, but I, I kind of laser focused in on it and went from like, a few thousand words to getting like up into the 30, 40,000 words. And, and once you get to a certain kind of point in my mind, you just keep going at that point, right? Like you don't want to give up now. It's, it's almost like a challenge. Like, well, I've gotten this far. I might as well just get this one, done. <laughs> get this one done. So, Absolutely. so that's why that's kind of what pushed the, 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 uh, the, the fantasy book over the, over the, the edge for that one. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's three books and I already kind of know where everything goes. And, um, it's still got those characters that I wanted to be in there. They're just in different roles now. And um, and like I said, the, the, the focus characters are more of kind of an amalgamation of each of my daughters rather than like kind of each being based on a single daughter kind of thing. Mm. Um, so anyway, that's that's where it's at now. So, <laughs> so this is this is fascinating. Do your, do your daughters appreciate that you base characters off of them? Do they enjoy that? Or were they like, Dad, they... Why, why would you do that? They um they were tentative at first. I I will admit, especially my oldest, she was a little bit skeptical um because I don't know what she was. Ex- I don't think they were. They didn't know what to expect. First of all, because they have never read any of my writing. They know what I do when I when it comes to telling stories. They kind of understood where I was with that. But as as far as like you know my you know I, what I would I, I don't know how exactly to describe it. They kind of understood me as a storyteller, but they didn't understand me as a writer. And what when I started writing for other people, that kind of changed things, right? Like when you're telling a story to your family, you kind of, you know, the inside jokes and things like that are cool. Mm-hmm. You get that because they get that. When you're writing for a bigger audience, you have to rein that in a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think she wasn't sure what the result was going to be. Um but they have all very much uh, signed it off with their seal of approval. They love the characters that are still kind of the focus characters. Um, in, in fact, my, uh, my one daughter uh, was so excited about it that she shared it with some of her friends. Um, and they ended up being some of my kind of earlier beta readers before my, my publisher had even, even picked me up at that time. I say my publisher, it's no longer my publisher, but anyway, before the publisher had picked me up, I actually got these, some of these, uh, youth that, you know, these kids had beta read for me because they were excited to read about their friend who now's dad had put her in a book. So, <laughs> but how cool, I mean, what a great example to your daughters even if they don't write to see that you have this inspired i mean you've been inspiring them through dungeon and dragons campaigns for so long um but how do you how do you keep it all straight right i mean a lot of people will say that yeah. their their creative well or their creative energy runs dry if you're putting so much energy into these D campaigns however elaborate um how do you not run dry with your creativity, do you have any secrets that you can share, or do they just bolster each other? Is that what's happening here? There, there is a little bit of that. I legitimately, um, I think part of the reason that that writing that fantasy book caught fire as fast as it did for me is that uh, so this is this is probably corny to some people, but it's just how I've always done things. We love my corny. original, yeah. Well, my original group, that that original group of friends I had in high school. I love those characters. I really, that was my first group that I DM'd. That was the first 
place that, you know, the first time that I'd ever had to personally, like not only design NPCs, but design the personalities around the NPCs and things like that. And after that, and I had moved on and we'd all scattered to the wind and, you know, I came out to the East Coast and they, you know, did their thing. After that, when I would write a campaign of my own, I would always include those characters in the world somewhere. Even hmm. if the players in that current game never ran into them, they always existed, right? These characters were always in the world somewhere. And so that's the actual book that I wrote was these characters, kind of their origin story. And it's just something that's carried on. I, I'm i always, when I was a kid, and it's funny because actually I, we talked about being in writer's groups earlier. I, I encountered a writer who doesn't have an internal monologue, which blows my mind. Because I can't fathom not having, when I'm doing anything that I don't actually have to physically be talking or interacting with somebody with, I'm basically in my head, just the, the, the wheels are spinning, right? Like something's always going on in there. And when I was a kid and I'd be like mowing my lawn, I'd be thinking like, I just played Final Fantasy at that time or or something, you know, some, you know, I think it was Final Fantasy that had come out recently. I distinctly remember like I would be writing a new version of Final Fantasy in my head while I'm mowing the lawn. Because I'm like, well, I would have done this better or I would have done this. And I, still to this day, that's kind of who I am. Like on my commute to work, I just, something will hit me. I, I take a walk in the evening. It's that 20 minutes. It's just nonstop. Like, well, how could I tweak this? How could I do this? How could I, you know, wouldn't this be cool? And there's there's times that it kind of bleeds over in ways that it probably wasn't intended. Like, like I have to sometimes kind of clear my mind. Like I listen to music all the time when I'm writing, like it's just nonstop. It, mm. It's always, I just have to, because it's something about like the music helps me get all the, all the lines right <laughs> in my head so that everything kind of keeps to its own lane. Um, but, uh, but sometimes things kind of happen. And, and, and what's funny too, is that I discovered when I, when I used to read books a lot more than I do now because I'm writing them. And because I'm just an adult and I'm busier, when I would read books, I would get very much in that headspace, right? Like if I was reading a Stephen King book, like that was just everything in my brain was kind of tilted in that direction. Or if I was reading a, a Terry Brooks or another fantasy author's book, um, Asimov, it was being, you know, science fiction was everything in my head at that time. As an adult now, and especially as a writer, like I have to be really careful about the types of media that I consume if I'm trying to write something or write a new story, because the influence of that media will sometimes bleed into my into my headspace with that. Like I won't watch a TV show or like a, a constant series if I'm in the middle of of writing something that's either intense or or a big deal. Like if I'm just kind of just throwing some ideas at the wall, I can do whatever. But but when I really get into a book, I kind of have to shut out all the other stuff because otherwise it bleeds into <laughs> my my everyday thought process. So. Yeah, and maybe makes it like I said that might be corny. I don't know, but that's just kind of how I figured out I operate. So I mean, I don't think that's corny. I I don't know that I'm influenced in the same way, but I can say with affinity that you were not the only one. I remember thinking <laughs> that I was a, a psycho person. Um, not that anybody had like given me that feedback. This was purely, you know, having gone to public school, nothing against public school, but, you know, being kind of that nerdy kid, obviously it's, it's it was unpopular, so to speak. So I remember thinking as an adult, why, <laughs> why am I thinking these weird, like fantasy, otherworldly stories, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I'm always coming up with some story. Um, 
and it's never gone away. And I remember thinking, I'm just like, my brain is weird as an adult. I'm, this is childish. Why am I still this way? And I'm still this way, right? But I think, you know, that's an artifact of my childhood and your imagination. I like to say it's just your imagination running wild, which is very healthy for whoever you are, whatever age. But that has what has lent me a lot of aid in my busy life as an author, right? I call myself a casual author because by nature of all of the things going on, but I can often write better when I'm in that headspace. I'm out taking care of animals, I'm doing dishes, and I'm either in the world that I'm writing or just in a random other world, right? Just, you know, making something up. It just spurs that creativity. And music helps that for me as well. I do love to listen to music. Every every song (laughs) has a story. Um, So I'm with you on that. Although I'm going to have to ask you your playlist while you're writing because i'm well, curious i have i have so many what's funny is i have multiple playlists because like if i'm writing a certain type of scene i'll switch the playlist yeah so like when i'm doing action it's one type of playlist but if i'm doing like an emotional scene it's another type of playlist um i think when i finished writing my first novel i was up to i want to say 13 <laughs> oh that's so organized <laughs> neil i'm so impressed i haven't made playlists because i'm so disorganized i can't even organize anything so you know a couple of times I'm like oh i need to i need to create a playlist and then it's gone that bob's gone so i admire your organization <laughs> well i uh so so fun little fact this is it's in my book but it's i don't know how many people actually go and look at this so if you go to spotify and look up my name you can actually find that mm-hmm. i've got playlists for some of my characters listed there and these cool. are all, all of these are songs in some form or another that i was probably listening to at some point while i was writing those individual characters a couple of them are a little bit of a mishmash of just songs that were like some of the songs i was listening to but yeah there's a whole bunch of songs there and i just kind of go through a whole <laughs> a whole lot of stuff and uh and that was uh that was what it was was it was a lot of different songs. I uh, I I like writing action, and I'm probably best at writing action because of being a dungeon master. And so you have to describe action to people, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a pretty common event. So like my fight scenes, poof, I was I was blazing on those, man. My fingers were flying a, a you know a, a key a minute or a second or whatever. But it was like emotional scenes sometimes took me a little bit more um time and so that's really where the playlist helped a lot was kind of getting me in the headspace and i say emotional this could be any emotion this could be you know sorrow this could be happiness this could be love this could be you know whatever it's just when i had to actually kind of like have a character that wasn't immediately trying to kick somebody's rear end or or you know uh (laughs) chase down a a bigfoot or whatever i had to i to step back and go okay what's happening in this scene and where do i need to get my mind focused at <laughs> oh, the temptation to have someone punch another person is there but that's not the solution to everything it's not well it's funny my uh so my uh my youngest daughter was one of my very first very first like any kind of reader she'd be like an alpha reader not even a beta reader and uh she left me a note towards the end of the book and she said there's a lot of people that really are. She said, there's a lot of moments where people fight in this book. And I think you might need to tone it down. So, and I was like, yeah, You're okay. Like, I guess oh. I can see what you're saying. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, I look back and I was like, yeah, she's right. I, you know, there were moments when they probably could have handled that better. And instead, it was just like, no, nah, let's resort to violence. Why not? <laughs> that is funny. Well, I'm looking forward to digging into it. I have not had a chance to read your book, but it looks intriguing. Uh, we are running short on time, though. We could probably talk for forever. But before we end here, we'd love to ask, where can people find more information about you and your books? 
Well, absolutely. Uh, so um, just my name, neilromerill.com. Um, I'm the only one. And so you go there, you'll find uh, not only my my uh, debut novel. Um, I had a story featured in a, a, a anthology collection that was released this year called Welcome to FM Falls. Uh, my story, The Top Prize, is a short story about kids in an 80s arcade and trying to win the top prize at the arcade. And maybe there's some nefarious things going on in the background. Um, and uh, and that's that's two books I've currently got out. I just had another short story that actually is set in Idaho uh, that has nice. uh, just been accepted to an anthology that will come out next year. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, but yeah, that's, that's where you can find information. My books are available on Amazon or any fine retailer. Uh, most of them online, but occasionally you'll you'll bump into me in, in a physical place. And and of course, you can go to your library. And I've actually got an audio book that hopefully will come out maybe the end of this year or maybe early next year for my debut novel. Um, yes. But it is it is done being recorded. It's just being edited right now. So uh, oh, you the look editing. forward to seeing that as well. Yeah, it's all the editing is tedious, but very good. <laughs> Well, great. This is awesome. Thank you for joining me. This has been excellent. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs>I hope you thought that was interesting and encouraging, right? Because there's a lot of passions that we have outside of writing that can definitely influence and help us in the writing phase, such as reading, watching movies, um, playing Dungeons and Dragons or other role-playing games. I don't think people give enough attention to those things, how they can actually help with their creativity. They think, oh, if I just take all of that time and put it into writing, my writing would will skyrocket and everything will go better. Not necessarily. There's That creative well needs to be filled. And if that's through Dungeons & Dragons, I think that's awesome. So uh, next week, we'll be talking to KJ Bridge about persevering in your writing despite challenges occurring in life. So uh, we talk a little bit about the tragedy. There was a, a recent tragedy in her life, the death of a very close family member that affected her and her children. Uh, we talk a little bit about that and explore how she coped with it, how that transitioned into being successful with her writing and how she was able to take her experiences and use it to bolster the emotions and the realistic parts of her characters in her book. So I think you'll want to tune around, tune in for that conversation. It's really insightful and really, um, it wasn't heavy necessarily, but it was very uh, realistic and grounding. I'll say grounding is the right word for that. But yeah, that's next week with KJ. So um, if you want to join me on the podcast, as, as I mentioned before, you definitely want to head over to thecasualauthor.com, fill out the pitch form there. I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to have anybody who's passionate about publishing. If you have experience with Kickstarter or anything related to publishing, artists, um, editing and whatnot, definitely would love to have you on the podcast. So if you have any questions, you can email me at authordkenner at gmail.com or just head to dankenner.com. There's a contact form there where you can reach me as well. Thank you so much for listening. Like and subscribe if you haven't already. And remember to share with your friends. Have a great day. Oh,